To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, I got a brand new pop for you. So today I have on Stephen Rosso, and uh, Stephen's just a great guy, just a, a backcountry guru, guided for a lot of years, super knowledgeable and really passionate. He's been scouting like a madman, and, and we talk about that, but um, he's just a wealth of knowledge. He just loves the high country, loves hunting deer, loves hunting elk, and just the perfect guest for Eastman's Elevated. So I really enjoyed the conversation with him, and I think you guys will too. A sponsor for today's show is Taito Knives. Taito makes a ultra lightweight, ultra sharp knife. Um, they're, they're just, they've absolutely changed the way that I process game. I can process an entire elk with one knife. And it's nice that you can change out the blades where you're not having to pack a bunch of sharpeners in with you and a bunch of knives. It's as lightweight as they come. And then they're just razor sharp. And, and I can do a whole elk with, with one blade. They really hold up. And, and are great for, for processing game. I take the, the head off with them. I take all the meat cuts, bone them all out, get them in my game bags and pack them out. But those Taito knives, um, they're just an absolute game changer and a, a great company, so make sure to check them out. Um, over there at Eastman's, yeah, just getting back from this caribou trip. What an awesome trip. Uh, met, met my Hawaii buddies over there and, and my buddy Chase and and we shared a camp. It, it was closer to winter than summer up there. Um, we just uh, we had 30 to 40 degrees, wet and raining every day out on the tundra. But what an amazing trip! Um, chasing those caribou across that tundra—they're so challenging and they're so so well adapted to their to their habitat. Um, you know, they they've evolved from thousands of years of, of avoiding wolves and 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 grizzly bears up there, and they just know how to pick you out on that tundra i i kind of relate them to hunting to hunting antelope only it's like hunting an antelope with 400 inch horns uh just an amazing animal to hunt but we we captured the entire hunt on video can't wait to release it to you guys and uh, get that footage put together but but what an awesome trip so i um, looking forward to the next one uh yeah, I'm going to hop in the truck here as soon as I finish out this podcast and head down to Nevada and start hunting high country mule deer and, and put a lot of the information that's in this podcast to good use and see if we can't turn up a good buck. And, and uh, we're also going to try to film this one as well. So um, it's just amazing. Hunting season's here and, and uh, just immersed in the woods and where I want to be. So I uh, couldn't be happier. I know all the Eastman's guys are planning their hunts as well. Uh, it's it's going to be a, a really fun season and really fun to see what they turn up. Um, just just great hunters and, and great content coming up. I know I got a an article I need to finish up for the magazine that's going to be out in the, the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. And um, I, I'm just excited to see what this next year holds for us. So uh, make sure to check them out. If you're not already a subscriber to the Eastman's Hunting Journal and Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, make sure to check out the internet TV show Beyond the Grid. And Dan Picard and Guy Eastman work really hard to put next level footage together for those shows. And uh, also make sure to check out Eastman's Hunting TV. Uh, check out our website and um from there, I better get on the road here and, and uh, get down to Nevada and see if I can't do some good. So I know you guys are going to enjoy today's podcast. We're going to release it in a two-part, so I'll get this second part out as well, uh, roughly around the same time, so you guys don't have to wait for it. And uh, I'll be checking in with you guys next week.
thanks for being on, Stephen. Yeah, thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Yeah. Um, well, I've been following you on social media. Well, we were just talking about social media, but I really enjoy your page and your photos. You're a diehard backcountry mule deer hunter. And then um, you just wrote a blog for us for Eastman's in there. Um, yeah, congratulations on the blog. I haven't got a chance to read it yet, but I sure will. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, Scott reached out to me through the Eastman's forum a while back, and I wrote one a while ago on kind of hunting with grizzlies because that's something I've done a lot of here in West Wyoming when I was guiding and now that I don't guide anymore, but now I hunt for myself in grizzly country a lot. And then we just were talking, brainstorming ideas, and I figured we'd talk a little bit about backpack hunting versus horse hunting. And for, you know, there's a lot of people out there that some are diehard horse hunters, some are diehard against horse hunting. And I think there's an equal aspect to look at it, why one is not better than the other because I really enjoy the simplicity of living out of a pack. But at the same time, there's times where having that extra horsepower underneath you and with you can really make hunting fun as well. Yeah, advantages and disadvantages, right? Yep, exactly. And it's it's hard to cram that into a thousand-word blog like Scott wanted me to. So I, I touched on the finer points very briefly, but you know, anyone out there that's a hunter understands the differences. I just kind of brought them to light, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I have to visit that one, and I have to revisit the Grizzly one. i got to get caught up on some of these blogs. But, yeah, uh, congratulations, and, yeah, um, thanks for being part of the team. Yeah, I appreciate it. I enjoy, enjoy writing and talking hunting. It gets me away from thinking about work or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that work gets in the way of good hunting, doesn't it? It does. It really does, you know, but at least with work, if it's not for my job, I wouldn't be able to live where I live and I get to hunt, you know, trophy class high country mule deer that a lot of people wait years to draw a tag for and I can go buy it over the counter even though that doesn't make every non-resident happy nowadays, but I'm sure happy about it. <laughs> well, tell me about it. I'm one of those non-residents. <laughs> I, I, well, I just wish they'd let me hunt the wilderness there and then, uh, yep. yeah, I wish we'd all have equal odds, but they're two in the same breath. Like, you have to sacrifice to live in these states. You have to sacrifice to live in Wyoming, you know, and, and not that you don't make good money, but you could make more money in a different state or in a big city living there, and so, you know, you sacrifice to live in Wyoming, and Wyoming rewards you guys for it and gives you yeah, like you say, that that general tag every year that takes me six to eight points to draw some of those things in western Wyoming. But I, I just love that country, but rightfully so. You know, you live there and make a living there. You you deserve to have uh, somewhat of special rights in Wyoming. Yeah, I'd like to think so. You know, it's the <laughs> Jackson's definitely not it's I've got good views and everything, but it's uh, the cost of living is definitely not the reason I stay here. It's for the outdoor activities and obviously hunting is the what brought me here in the first place. And it's definitely what keeps me grounded here for the time being. Yeah. Um, so you get the Jackson discount in there. It's pretty high, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, they they love us. And treat They really make you feel like a local around here when you're driving around to somebody's multi-billion dollar you know, property that they stay in one week a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's uh some of that for sure well yeah and I, I have the same thing in my valley i live just north of you like three hours in ennis uh, montana yeah. south of bozeman and yeah we have a lot of summer crowds too but you know the summer crowds help support the businesses and help exactly. support building and things of that nature but um yeah the 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 tourists kind of around the park uh the closer you get to the park the worse it gets and um, oh yeah it's <laughs> the bus loads of people and i mean it's it's incredible to see <laughs> some of the some of the things that go on you, you know years ago when i was guiding i used to haul horse trailers all the time with 10 12 horses in them and you just 
sometimes you just couldn't believe what people would do on those roads when it came to Buffalo, things like that. And luckily our, the ranch I worked for never had our name across any of the trucks for a good reason. So we could, you know, lay on the horn a couple of times if we needed to. <laughs> That's necessary every once in a while, you know, just yeah. to let a guy know that, you know, Hey, you can't pull out in front of me. I've got a horse trailer and a truck. Like I've got a full load here. I can't just <laughs> stop on a dime. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, yeah, how cool. Maybe we should uh, touch first on that, um, on the horse hunting versus backpack hunting, and then I definitely want to get into to high country mule deer, as I, I know you're yeah. crazy for this season, already scouting, more scouting trips in the planning. But, yeah, on the, the horse hunting versus uh, backpack hunting, um, like, uh, so let's talk about the advantages of horse hunting. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously it's just the ability to go in deep cover country and be rested and not beat up yourself, you know, and being able to take, uh, those extra steaks, <laughs> that extra bottle of whiskey to make you go to sleep at night, things like that sure come in handy on a long hunt. And also obviously the ability to take your game out immediately without having to weigh down your pack or make multiple trips is huge. Yeah. That's what I always think of is I think of like, a elk hunting the backcountry is so tough on a, on a backpack do, on yep. backpack trips and even though i've been doing it for years you got to really consider where you're going to harvest one of those things and I yeah agree. the uh the horse hunting just allows you to get those things out and yeah horses were made for elk hunting the backcountry for sure and it's nice to have a a comfortable camp like you say and, and then to be able to go in more miles and and be able to get away from the pressure i think is a huge advantage too yeah it definitely is and i mean it's, you know, and then the the drawback to it comes is just you get, you know, we used to see it a lot up in the wilderness, just people you get relying on your horses and you don't want to leave, go too far from them. And but then you're also there was a lot of times we'd ride two hours in the dark from our camp that was already 20 miles into the wilderness just to be somewhere at daylight. And, you know, I look at it now when I'm hunting for myself and a lot of the hunting I do now is with a backpack for both elk and deer. And there's so much country that horse people will ride by to try and be that far deep person. And there's phenomenal country that you'll ride by because you just, you want to get further back to this point you have in your head, in your mind. And so, you know, that's for a backpack hunter. When you realize how a horse hunter kind of looks at things when they're packing in, it can really, I think, open up areas for you to hunt because just because they have horses doesn't mean they're looking at every drainage from the trailhead out. Yeah, that's a great point, Stephen. Yeah, like um, like you say, it's it's like any of those. Um, if you use them as a tool to to get you to different places, and then you get off your horse and you hike and you get off trail, or you know even four wheelers, motorbikes, all of that, it, it's like it traps you because it's an easy way to 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 get around the backcountry, and so all of a sudden it traps you. And even though you're a hardcore hunter, you you kind of start riding and relying upon that you know, that, that horse or that, you know, motorbike or whatever it is. And so you don't get off it as much as you should. Um, yeah. And then also your point of getting back, being the furthest one back. I've always believed like the, the backpackers niche is like three to 10 miles, you know, because yeah. all the horse hunters want to ride 10 miles, 10 miles plus, And so there's pressure back there. And then all the day hunters are, are zero to three miles off the faces and things. So I've always thought that's a sweet spot for backpack hunting. Yeah, I think that's a really good, you know, really good way to break down the kind of that idea because, I mean, a 10-mile ride for horses is two and a half hours. That's nothing. So, you know, that's when people are packing in, they're going in that over that 10 miles. So I think that's a really good way to break it down. 
Yeah, and then also, um, like we were talking a little bit before the podcast, but also, like, I'm always trying to hunt country that horses can't get to. So I'm hunting country that's off trail. I'm hunting places where water's not easily accessible. And, and you find some real honey holes when you look at the mountains that way and you try to figure out, okay, this rough ridgeline, I can traverse it, but, you know, in, unless right. you're unless you're a diehard cowboy or, you know, you, you've got uh, <laughs> you, you've got nerves of steel, there's no way they're going to try to ride this knife blade ridgeline that I'm on. And so getting back into those spots or places where there isn't much water, um, you can sure find some sweet spots of country that way. Yeah. And I mean, in, you know, a lot of that comes to the game you're hunting, like whether it's mule deer or elk. And, you know, for me here specifically in Western Wyoming, where, you know, it's a high country mule deer mecca, many people want to hunt or do hunt. And everyone that comes out here, you know, it's rugged country and they know that. And they look at a topo map or Google Earth and you see these trails and you just assume you get up these trails. It's these trails are pretty well beat in by horse groups. So I, I mean, I'll use trails to access for a couple miles. And then I usually try and get off the trails as soon as I can hit the high country and get on these ridges that I know from my years of using horses as a guide, there's no way in heck people are going to be bringing horses up this route. And you never see signs of them in the places I choose to hunt. And, you know, I don't have to really worry about once hunting season gets there, a giant group of horse hunters being right on top of me, you know, they might be in a drainage or two over, but that sometimes a lot of can benefit me because when they set up their horses in a camp area where, you know, there's probably deer living, they're going to push them out of there when they set up a full camp with horses and all that. So you can also play it by that to see where they might push animals to you if you're in a drainage or two over. Oh, I like that. Yeah. You use your knowledge of horses to get away from the horses. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like I was kind of right before we started the podcast, my, my archery hunt in the high country last year, I had some really good bucks located. And then it, when I got up, there was the day after the archery opener, just cause I had to work and couldn't take that day off. And I hiked up right after work, got in there and immediately, you know, there was, I expected kind of the area I was hunting. It wasn't as remote. It was hard to get into. And it was Kind of there was a main access point a ways away that I expected people to be hunting out of, but I didn't expect people to be right where I was, which was correct. No one was camped near me, but there was horse hunters in the next basin over where there was some decent water. And it was also the next basin where there was a, during the summer, I saw tons of deer on this beautiful side hill for archery hunting, steep side hill, spotted trees. You know, you're kind of your dream setup for watching bucks bed in the afternoon and making a stock. And they kind of ruined that side hill. But in the same time, they pushed a ton of deer over into my area and I, I just couldn't make it happen. And the two bucks I was really focused on, one of them dropped a level and got into some just nasty cliff stuff. And I, uh, I finally brought myself to go after him on the final day of my hunt, knowing it probably wasn't going to work out, but I got within 90 yards before he busted and I, uh, then had to rock climb out of there and couldn't really go back down. And that's one of those times I was going, why, why do I do this? When I get myself into mule deer country, I always end up in a cliff somewhere. Somehow I always do. <laughs> it <laughs> never it, fails. Way, no way a horse was going anywhere near where that buck was and where I was. And, you know, so that's, it's definitely you. I really enjoy having that aspect of using horses for years and using that knowledge to kind of figure out where I want to go that no one, no horse user is going to be there and be pushing animals. Or if they're going to be there, they're going to be a couple drainages away and it might benefit me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like how you use it to your benefit. Like it pushes that deer out of their their primary living spot where they get to secondary living. And a lot of times I refer to secondary living as down lower, more cover, where it sounds yeah. like you made the stock on that buck. Sounds like he dropped a level in the cliffs down in there. Oh, but yeah. but even just like you said, like being a couple drainages over, you know, their pressure in there and, you know, the pressure of the, the big horse camp, multiple guys hunting, it just shoved the bucks over into your drainage and then they started living in there where you could make plays and you had it to yourself yeah i mean so it was you know made for a lot of animals being seen and then just it's just one of those things you know those bucks on that archery hunt start getting run around they start kind of they disappear for a little while and that's by the end of my hunt that's kind of what happened my two bigger bucks just they they vanished especially the one i made a stock on i knew it was a make or break stock with him and then the other one (laughs) last i saw him was that you know just your famous thought in the of a high country mule deer hunter is a giant buck going over the ridge well i have that vision in my head except he was in velvet and he was a giant non-typical and he had about 15 other bucks with him and i watched him drop into a basin that i thought would be perfect about it took me 30 minutes to get there i looked down in there and they were gone and i never saw him again (laughs) Um, (laughs) sounds like mule deer hunting (laughs) um yeah they're really tough and challenging and you do live in that mecca but you, you have to travel a lot of country to find those next level bucks, those mature yeah. ones that we're looking for, you know, those four, five, six year old mule deer, even seven year old mule deer. And they get the system and, and, you know, not only does the food burn off and they drop to that secondary living, but I think they also know the pressure. And with the popularity of archery hunting mule deer um, lately, you know, I, I think they know when hunting season is on and I think they yeah. start to tighten up their program and they start to use more cover, get more nocturnal show themselves less make less mistakes um haven't you found that as well yeah definitely i mean these bigger bucks they're so smart i mean they know what's going on from the moment they start seeing people showing up there in the beginning of you know end of august and it definitely seems like some of those really big ones will completely change habit you know their habits right before and you know it's it seems like it's days before that september 1st opener and it you know, some people might think it's just random luck, but I do think those deer know what they're doing. They're, I mean, they're smart old animals, especially those ones that get the age on them. Yeah, they just know, you know, and I've, I've ran scouting trips in there before and, you know, over a weekend, you can count a hundred different bucks that are living in this high country. Of course, they're all their population is condensed and you find the spot they like to live. And then yep. you show up there, you know, September 1st or September 4th. And it's like there's a couple, uh, you know, three-year-old bucks or smaller bucks that are still hanging in those drainages. But as far as the numbers and the more mature deer that you've scouted, it, it feels like they're gone, like they've ghosted you. And it, it takes, like, dissecting that country a little <laughs> bit. Like, you can't give up right away. Like, just yeah. because you don't see them in those alpine basins where you scouted them, it doesn't mean they're totally gone. They're, like, they're close by. You you just, like, sometimes for me, I have to drop a 1,000 feet, like, off a spur ridge line or i have to drop down and grab different vantage points that i wouldn't normally grab and then all of a sudden i sit on that vantage point and all of a sudden i'll find 20 different bucks that are hanging in this spot that's you know 1500 feet lower in the avalanche shoots or sparsely yep. open trees or something like that it, it seems like every year in that that country you have to solve the puzzle yeah i agree and i mean i've i've always kind of when that pressure gets to them and you think they're dropping or starting to go, you know, disappear. I've really found in the early mornings trying to glass right alongside like timbered edges of the, you know, lower, the lower end of basins or avalanche shoots. It seems like I've noticed a lot of these bigger bucks 
they drop and they'll still be out in that open feeding in the mornings, but they just disappear into the trees real quick on those spur ridges and stuff. And so I've really focused on, you know, once they get pressure, looking further down the mountain than I normally would start my glassing at first light and looking right on the edges of those tree lines for those bucks that are kind of just sitting right there where they are immediately out of danger within a couple bounds. And it seems like I've caught a lot of them doing those types of routines through the years. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I like that. You're right. They they stick to the shadows more. They stick to the edges more. They just tighten up their program, and they're still there, but but they're not going to be out mid-morning feeding in the middle of that Alpen Basin, especially not a mature one. It doesn't seem like they right. they, they just tighten things up. For you, but <laughs> right? They, they never seem to as much as you dream about it. I know. Isn't that the truth? Well, and even I'm finding this in, in other states and other seasons. Like um, I, I hunted Utah a couple – well, it's been three or four years now. I hunted Utah, and then I hunt Nevada as much as I can get a tag. But it seems like those deer are starting to know that those seasons are coming on, and they're way earlier, which is prime time for hunting high country mule deer. But Nevada opener is August 10th, and then um, Utah's is, is August 15th. And so you think that earlier season, you'd catch those bucks more in that that alpine habit, you know, of, of being having more of that lax summertime attitude. But they right. just don't. They're the same way. Way. They just tighten up their program, tougher to find. Uh, my my biggest buck came from Utah in uh, 2013. So, yeah, it's been a handful of years. But um, I saw that buck twice in seven days. Wow. You're looking over with prime vantage points, looking over the drainages that he lived in, that he liked to, liked to uh, frequent. And, and I saw him two times in seven days. It was just crazy. They just learned to tighten up their program. Yeah, it's and I mean, as you know, as you know, the the whole high country mule deer hunting epidemic is I mean, and it's it's grown so much for a reason. It's not just I mean, it's not, you know, the cool thing to do on social media or anything like that. It's just it's people that are have really grown into this backcountry backpacker, you know, deep backcountry hunting of mule deer. The whole idea of sitting on the highest peaks you can and chasing these animals in the places they call home where it's just big, gorgeous country and, you know, incredible views. It just it appeals to the people that want to get away from town and get away from civilization, which is you know part of the reason I love hunting big mule deer is it gets me. And it's, I guess, not like in a side aspect of it, it's one of the good reasons about living in this Jackson area is I spend all week dealing with so many people around here that. It is no problem for me to want to bail out of town at 3.30 when I get off work on Friday and get as far away into the mountains as possible. And it just it causes me to want to scout harder and go further just to get away from people. And I think that's you know one of the reasons so many of us love this backcountry, highcountry mule deer is you just get away and you get up in the mountains and the stars and you just you get away from everything, get to be where it's just quiet and peaceful. Well, and it's, you know, I like to hunt all different species with my bow. And don't get me wrong, I love elk hunting, but there is something like you're talking about, that alpine environment up there. It's like, it's like where goats and sheep live, but everywhere you look, 360 degrees is like a painting, you know? It's all yeah. lush, green, alpine basins, cliffs, like a real technical terrain where you got to have your wits about you. You talk about stalking in that cliff and, you know, uh, always being in the cliffs when you're hunting mule deer. Like, they like steep country steep country that'll test your nerves and it's amazing you think you could walk everywhere a deer could walk you can't like uh nope. I, nope. I shot a buck one time and then was trailing him and and he went across this chute 
and I got halfway across that chute, and and I got scared for my life. Like it was too steep for a human <laughs> to make it across. I had to somehow turn back around, and I was trying to hold on, and I got back, and I had to loop around and pick up the blood trail on the other side. But yeah, they can walk some steep country, can't they? Oh, it's incredible. You know, and I last weekend when I was up, I did a three day trip, and we covered a ton of country, parked at one spot, and we uh, were. We put on our nicest, you know, voice and asked a f- my friend's wife to pick us up a few days later at a spot a ways away so we could cover a ton of country, which she was willing to do. So we were able to cover an awesome chunk of country. But one of the last deer I glassed up the last morning, he literally walked up a cliff embedded under an overhang in a cave. And I'm like, I, what is what would you do if that was the buck you wanted to go after? And he was a he was actually a really cool, big, heavy three by three that was about 30 inches wide. He was really cool. But I'm like, there's nothing you could do not, besides wave and just tell him, well done, you win. <laughs> yeah, they um, they definitely know where to bed, where, you know, where they find the best security. And they don't always use heavy cover for security. A lot of times they oh. use those clips. Um, just because they can pick up predators that are moving in on them, whether that's, you know, hunters or mountain lions, but they just feel safe in that stuff. But, um, yeah, you, you, you definitely, you can't get a buck fever or get too crazy either. Like a lot of these basins that you glass them in, like I'll start looking around like, okay, how do I get down to this basin? How do I make a stock? And, And it's really tough to assess country, you know, from the top because all of a sudden it'll drop off farther than you can see and it's it's tough to assess from you know glassing across from it Uh, i mean really the only way to assess it is to start down it and get a feel for it but then sometimes you get trapped too but a guy really has to be careful because uh, if you always have to live to hunt mule deer another day and and no deer's (laughs) worth dying no matter how big he is you know but there too you kind of you you're going to be forced to push it on a high country mule deer hunt at one point or another. You're going to see a shoot and go, yeah, I think I can make it down there. You know, and you're going to all of a sudden you're going to be sweating and get stuck on a wall where you can't go up or can't go down. And you try to avoid those situations, but it just seems like those, those high country muleys will get you into those, those situations more than any other animal I've ever hunted. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, (laughs) I've, there's been multiple times through the past couple of years that I've just, really stopping on what am I doing and why am I here and how am I getting out? I remember last year, I, I really wanted to traverse into these one section of peaks and it looked like a pretty just natural ridge line. So I just went for it without really studying it too much. And next thing I know, I was basically cliffed out in between two sections of cliffs and I really couldn't go back up. And I eventually found like a 20 foot chute that I just shimmied down with pack and all. And I think there was one point there where I was honestly thinking of recording a video to my mom and my dad on my phone just in case, but because there was no no region, you know margin for error with, when you took the wrong step in that country, and it just it was one of those times. I'm like the things I do just for the chance to maybe locate a a true monster buck, and it's the only you know with elk, I, I do a lot of my elk scouting through you know binos and glass from a high point you can kind of expect where to find your elk in the mornings out feeding in their groups especially the bachelor bulls but deer those big bucks you're there you, you got to really go find them you got to dig them out because they don't show themselves as easily as you know a big bull will sometimes 
Yeah, I think you're right. Well, and they, they learn to live in those spots where they don't get pressured and where they don't get pressured. It's too steep to get to a lot of times, you know, yeah. but yeah, no, I've been there right there with you. And, um, I, I think you just got to always keep a cool head. Remember that no deer's worth dying for. And, you know, you, you part of the adventure is pushing your limits and challenging yourself. And I, you know, I love rock climbing. I steep stuff doesn't bother me and I'll get up on roofs, but everybody has their limit, you know, including <laughs> me, you know, there's yep. just a limit of what you can do with without ropes and and it's not you know a lot of that country those mule deer are in it's not free climbing the rocks and oh i feel comfortable it's it's usually like really loose uh, uh yeah stuff you know loose terrain and so like when it's loose like that if you start to slip like you're going to the bottom and you're probably not going to look too good when you get to the bottom you're going to be a mangled mess so yeah it's it's one of those things that that you want to push yourself and challenge yourself but in that same breath you got to keep it safe you know you just can't i, I think it's not pushing past your own limitations yeah you know a lot especially you know if you're hunting or scouting with a partner you know a little bit better to you can play each the idea off each other but when you're out there solo you you really kind of got to step back and remember you're by yourself and you're probably out of cell service and you're in a remote area and you, you gotta you gotta make the right decisions that's for sure you know just like you said no bucks worth dying for and it sometimes it feels like it might be worth it but i think <laughs> I think it's just something in my head that I always, I just, I expect to find the biggest deer in some of the nastiest country. And even if I don't, I just want to explore some of those remote hidden pockets where I don't think people rarely ever look into. And whether I find a big one there or not, it's just that whole experience of getting to that country and being in it. And, you know, there's no doubt that there is giant bucks harvested close to roads or in low country every year all over, you know, the West. But for me, just that aspect of being in the high country and getting into the very remote aspect of it where people, where I just, I mean, I kind of base a lot of my scouting and where I want to hunt on why would a person want to go here? It looks miserable. All right. I think I might go there. <laughs> it's just, you yeah. know, and this, you know, all public land hunting is public land hunting, especially out here, you know, with the chance for big bucks, it's, you know, opening days is always a mess for the rifle, depending on where you are. And I kind of, I try and find places and whether or not the biggest bucks in the country are going to be where I scout, it's more, I would rather spend my time hunting where I see no or very few hunters than I would be in some of the main basins that are very accessible that you know hold bucks every, good bucks every year. But I would rather not see six orange bibs on the rifle opener or a bunch of hunters chasing them on archery where I could be in a more remote spot. Maybe it has less bucks or not as big, but I'm alone and I'd be a lot happier that way. I don't need to kill the biggest buck on the mountain. I'd much rather just be, you know, enjoying the time in the mountains without a bunch of people around me for it. Yeah, we're wired the same. That that extreme gnarly country is really fun to hunt and to look at and to glass. And then, like you say, it it's about getting away from the the, the pressure too, getting away from the hunters. And yeah, I, I want to have the biggest best experience. That doesn't mean that I have to kill the biggest best buck. You know, I yeah. um you know I I talk about next level bucks, and I definitely want to shoot a buck that I that I'm thrilled to kill that that I'm gonna be really excited when I walk up to. But that doesn't mean it's got to be 220 inches to get me excited <laughs> like um gosh out here like eastern montana like the the bucks 
a lot of the genetics, they're just um, genetically a different deer, and a lot of them have been shot out over the years. And so, like, there's a lot of numbers out there, but, you know, to find a mature five, six-year-old buck, he might only score 160 inches, and I'm fine with that. Like, those deer right. get me excited, you know? And so, yeah, you have to kind of match your expectations to the country you're hunting and, and, and what is available, what you have scouted there, and, and what right. is achievable. But, I mean, 160 buck, a 160-inch buck will get my heart pumping. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's, for me, it's definitely more about the experience and the overall aspect of everything. You know, last year, I mean, heck, I had a, well, I mean, I guess it would be an unsuccessful season via social media because I didn't get to put up many, you know, awesome kill pictures or anything, but I had a great season. I spent a ton of time in the summer in the high country scouting. I saw a ton of great bucks, covered a ton of places I've never been and chased some good bulls and had a great hunt like late season hunt with a friend from Idaho who came over and we hunted with horses for elk all of, for about eight days in October. And I never punched my tag on a buck or a bull last year. And I filled the freezer with a cow late season just cause I didn't find something that I was, I don't, you know, especially after winter, we had two winters ago for mule deer. I didn't want to, I, I kind of set a goal to not harvest anything lower than a buck I had killed two seasons ago, which went in the low one eighties. And I was happy with that at the end of season that I, you know, walked away from a few bucks during rifle that I sh definitely could have, but I didn't need the meat in my freezer at the time. And so for me, the, the hunt was more about trying to push my abilities and see what I could come up with. And I had a great season. I just didn't get to punch my tag. So this is kind of, I'm hoping my redemption season. So I'm pushing it even more to the limits this year with scouting and, you know, pushing myself to see where I can go and what I can do. Man, Steven, you're living the good life. You got great perspective. Like, um, that's me too this year is, um, you know, uh, my goal is to have a tag in my pocket at the end of season just because I want to immerse myself in the hunt and enjoy a bunch of days hunting. And so, yeah. you know, if that means I'm just traveling country every day and reset my camp and looking for that buck that's really going to excite me, like, like that's my plan and that's my goal and that's what I want to do. I, I, I want to immerse myself in the backcountry and have an amazing experience and season and, and, you know, if I if I don't kill a buck, you know, that's fine. I've killed enough of them. I've got meat in my freezer. I'm fine. But, you know, I, I want to find that buck that, that absolutely thrills me, you know, and, and then right. I want to try to make a play on them. But, yeah, I think, you know, we have to enjoy our time. Hunting season only comes once a year, and, and uh, it's a short <laughs> no. period of time, and we wait and think about it all year long and train for it and scout and shoot our bows. And uh, so when it's here, you know, we really have to enjoy it to the fullest. Yeah, I mean – for me, that's kind of last year, especially, you know, the deer season got tough with the past two years. Our opener for the rifle, you know, after archery has been just nasty and snowy and that has changed the deer tactics a lot. So it kind of blows all your scouting out the window when that weather moves in and changes everything and flips everything upside down. And so that kind of it made it tough for deer. And then I kind of went back to chasing archery elk. That's I guess. I guess it's, I, I call it a problem and there's a lot of people that might listen to this and want to hit me because of it. But I guess I have the problem of, I want to hunt everything too much at once. You know, I want to be chasing screaming bulls, but I also want to be sitting on top of a peak chasing after big bucks. And, you know, I kind of went back to focusing on elk and I had a lot of fun encounters with some nice bulls that I could have let the, an arrow loose on, but I had a, you know, a hunt planned kind of late season with a friend with horses. And I was hoping through the years of guiding and how I know elk migrate in this country, we could really 
hit a good migration, but the weather uh, did not cooperate with us last year and the snow came way too early. So we had a pretty hard hunt and he got a great bull and it was a fun eight days of hunting, but I passed on quite a few bulls with my bow just kind of because I wanted to have that tag for when we were out hunting together, just because it's, you know, more enjoyable if you're both after things together, kind of push, it makes you each push each other more, obviously. Yeah, it's fun teaming up with a buddy on those things. And I'm with you. Like, it gets to the heart of elk season. Like, the rut is only so long for elk. And so as much as I love to hunt mule deer, like, there comes a point in time around September 10th, you know, where I just have to shut it down and go, okay, I'm hunting elk, you know. (laughs) If I run into a mule deer, so be it. But I am hunting elk now, you know, because that that rut is so special. Those uh, bugling bulls and screaming bulls and um, such intense encounters. And it's just different than, than deer. So... I'm with you. I want it all as well. And you try to, it seems like all hunting and fishing and outdoor activities, a lot of it is dependent on the weather and the time of year. And so when it's the right time of year to hunt elk, when they're rutting hard, like that's what a guy needs to be spending his time with. So I'm with you there. Yeah. I mean, there, there's nothing better than a big bull and a screaming match with you in the trees or, you know, and I actually last year in August, I scouted a bull when I was looking for the mule deer I were, I ended up hunting in archery and he was a he was a really pretty six point that I was guessing about 320, 330, and he had a buddy with him that was a six by seven that he was just a pretty bull and he was probably like 315, 320. And then so a couple of weeks ago I went back up to that area and I actually looked down. I kind of almost joked to myself, I'm like, oh, I should look where those bulls were last year. And I mean, within 50 feet stood a just beautiful, and I'm sure it's the same six point when I've compared my videos and. He's got a cool kink in his one royal, almost like a swoop. And I'd say he's about, I kind of guessed him two weeks ago at about in the 340s. He's just a beautiful bull, especially for a heavily hunted over-the-counter area. And so I think I'm going to be putting a little more effort into the archery elk than I did last year when it comes to the rut hit because uh, I don't think I can let him go this season without me at least chasing him out of the country or trying to. Good for you. Yeah, you locate a mature animal like that, and you definitely want to give them all your effort because they are so tough to locate. You know, it's tough to find a bull of that caliber, especially in a over-the-counter unit. And so, yeah, no, you find them, you got to capitalize and try to spend as much effort as you can. We're, I'll actually be headed down to your country this year. So uh, my dad was lucky enough to draw. Uh, he drew a unit G tag for a non-resident, which can be really oh. tough. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I've got some experience down there. I've hunted that before, and um, so we're gonna head down. You know, I'm I'm not sure if I can get him. He is a bow hunter, but um, you know, he's he's mainly a rifle guy. Like he likes his rifle and shooting it. <laughs> he's really good with it. He's a great shot, and I love sharing hunts with him. But you know, oh, we may go down a couple days early or whatever. And so I've never experienced the rifle opener for a mule deer down there in those in Unit G. So yeah. that'll be a little bit interesting, but. I think I know what to expect down there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, everyone talks about it on forums and, you know, you hear about it through everything. It's just, you're going to see other hunters. You just got to, you know, let it not get in your head and just keep playing the game and, you know, see how everything unfolds. I just kind of, I, I know there's a lot of guys around here that have hunted these areas and grew up in them that they won't even, they don't even consider going out looking for bucks until the end of September, you know, a week after the opener, because they just, they some of the bigger bucks they've ever seen or taken or friends have taken have been on that second and third week of rifle season. Oh, and, that, uh, that's interesting. Think, you know, I think those like we were talking earlier, those big bucks just are smart and they know what's going on. And I've definitely seen bucks disappear during the archery hunt and then they are nowhere to be found on the rifle opener. And, you know, and everybody is just so 
you know, especially for a non-resident when they draw a tag, you know, you want to be there. The whole idea is you want to be there for the opener because that's, you know, it's just the rush of everything. You don't want that chance. You're the giant buck you dream of being shot by someone else. But I think, and I know some of the more well-known outfitters in both region H region G for deer. I mean, I've talked to a lot of their guides through the years when I was guiding and I mean, some of the biggest bucks they take are usually on those second and third hunts once things calm down and those bucks kind of the hills calm down with people and those bucks start to live a little bit and come out of the trees a little bit more. It makes really good sense, Stephen. Yeah, um, I hadn't thought about it that way, but but you're right. And that's my approach. Like this year, I have a Nevada high country mule deer tag. Um, but I'm fortunate enough to be going up to Alaska and hunting caribou with a buddy up there. And so when I get back, I'm going to miss the opener in Nevada. I'm so used to scouting for the opener, being in there a day before and locating bucks and hunting them. But you're right. That's when all the pressure is like, even if you can just give it a few days to cool down, like a lot of that hunting pressure is going to leave and they're not going to kill all the good bucks in there. You know, (laughs) they're, they're hardly going to kill any of them. If you look at statistics and you know, what uh, success rate is on those huge mature bucks and those mature bucks yeah they drop to secondary living tighten up their program tougher to find but you get those guys out of the hills and like those deer get back to you know they have to continue to feed and they so you know they're they're gonna come out in openings they're they're gonna reveal themselves you just have to be there to catch them but you get those guys out of the hills and and you kind of have it to yourself so that's what i'm hoping for nevada this year is you know i'm not too worried about where that big buck's living now like i'll go down a few days after it starts and and then I'm just going to travel country and glass into those drainages and try to find that good deer I want. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I mean, I sit here saying that, you know, a lot of these I've heard through, you know, years of talking to people that have a lot of the bigger bucks get taken on the later season. But of course, just it's ingrained in my head that it I got to be there for the opener. You know, I live here. I have to, I have to scout for the opener. I have to, you know, the idea of, for me to just plan on hunting that late season is impossible to get through my head. Like I, I know I'm going to be there for whatever opener. If I can't get it done during archery, I'll be there on the rifle opener, hopefully, you know, chasing a specific buck. And, but you know, it makes, it makes you also think that if the things don't line up for that opening weekend or what, you know, your opener hunt, you don't find the right one. Not every deer in the country is going to get shot that opening weekend. You don't need to pull the trigger if, you know, or whatever you can, you can let those week go by and everything die down and go back to that exact same spot. And just because two days after you were there on the opener and you didn't see any deer and you felt like the country was void, I guarantee if you go back in there, you know, a week, two weeks later, you're, as long as the snow hasn't piled up or anything, bucks are going to be back into their same routine because the pressure is going to left them for quite a while. Yeah, I like that. I yeah, and and like you say, when you when you live in that part of the country, like like opener special too. Opener, you catch you can catch bucks slipping, you can catch bulls slipping. You know, I know you know opener of elk season around here, and I you know I haven't hunted with a rifle for quite a few years, but when I did, I'd hunt that rifle opener around here, and it was like an event. You know, it was uh you made plans with your buddies, and you go so hard for opener, but it is like the orange army is out. Like there's a guy yeah. like guy. Guys go hard for opener, harder than they'll go for the entire season. You see guys on ridgelines, you're like, how in the heck did he get there? You know, and there's a guy on every one. Like, they go really hard, and you have to kind of, 
You know, you, you you change your tactics a little bit for it, and, and you do want to take advantage of it because you can kill a good buck or a good bull, but you're right. right. Things kind of calm down as time goes on, and, yeah, to, to take advantage of those later seasons. And I think even guys planning their, their trips hunting. Like I know in Nevada, I always would go for the opener. Colorado, I always go for the opener, you know, and – I think almost like if you really sit back and think about it, like a guy might want to consider going, no, I'm not going to go for opener. I'm going to let that first week pass, and I'm going to go the second week because I know there'll be no humans around. Everybody's going to take their time early. I'm going to have the mountains to myself. And, you know, with with, with today, you know, with, with hunting getting more and more popular, like the high country mule deer thing, like that could be a good tactic to get away from the pressure. Yeah, I think so as well. You know, and it's – you know, my, my good friend that I was kind of telling you about before we started, who I, the first one person who follows me around into miserable places and him and I found a spot a couple years ago for deer. And, uh, it is just miserable to get into. It is a seven to eight hour, just death March of, and I hate him for it because, <laughs> but you know, two years ago, I ended up getting my buck out of that area. We didn't see a single other hunter on the rifle opener for you know miles, which is pretty unheard of in the country around here that you hunt. And there was a reason it was not fun to get to where we were. And so I told him at the end of that hunt, I said, Winston, I'm never coming back up here. Well, fast forward to last year. And after my archery hunt, I just, I was kind of, I think almost I burnt myself out going so hard on scouting. And then the archery hunt, I was kind of disappointed with a few, a few ways I played things. And I was just, I was worried there was going to be more people up there on the rifle. And I just figured, you know what, let's go back to our same spot where we went the year before. And we, we sat in a tent and, you know, bullshitted about stories for three days because we couldn't see more than 30 yards. And, uh, we didn't see any deer worth shooting on that. And we came out and I said, all right, this time I mean it. I'm never coming back in here. <laughs> so we'll we'll see if I can hold true to that because uh, I, I'd like to find an area a little less miserable than that one. Copy. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, that's that's wild. Yeah, the hunting with a buddy can be so advantageous too, just because of that. Like riding out that storm. Like it didn't work out for you guys last year to ride out the storm. Then it cleared. You didn't find any right. bucks. But a lot of times, if you can ride out those storms, it's gonna drive everybody out of the country. And then um, those deer, like after that storm breaks, it seems like every deer is out and exposing in the cells. And and they're yeah. so much easier to glass when there's a snowy background a white background but um that's tough to do by yourself to ride out a three-day storm but with a buddy you know then you can you can hang out and it's a little miserable in a tent but um <laughs> you can kind of ride it out so there's advantages and disadvantages of having a good hunting partner that you can count on yeah i agree and i mean i like what you know we were talking i, I do a ton of stuff solo most of my scouting and everything it's you know i really enjoy the simplicity of solo hunting and just you know it's you yourself you the only the only person that you're against is yourself and how, you know, and for me, I, I kind of just refuse to let myself give up. And, you know, if I want to make it to the next Ridge before dark, I'm going to make it there no matter how much I <laughs> sweat and stink by the end of it. But, um, it's, it's definitely nice to have that other person there. So you don't feel like you're really going crazy with some of your ideas. Yeah. Um, it's, that's so wild. Like just the common thread between successful hunters, like that determination to keep pushing yourself and able to do that solo. And I'm with you. Like I push so hard solo and I love my solo hunts. 
But there's just something when you have a buddy there that you can feed off each other. Or you're joking around a little bit more. You're a little bit yeah. more lighthearted, and you end up hunting just as hard. And if you do it right, like you got to find the right hunting buddy. But if you do it right, and you can split up and share information, and and you're really looking out for the 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 best well-being of your partner too like you want him to be successful on a deer as much as you want to be successful and so you're really helping each other out like you you become quite a team and there's that saying in the military let's see if i can think but it's like uh two is one and one is none and and the saying is is that you with a buddy that makes one team or that makes you effective and and one guy by himself is zero you know and that's the saying that they use in the military but i can see why like a buddy just really helps in those scenarios to to keep your eye on the prize and to keep pushing hard and it's also fun to to share the experience with a buddy that enjoys it as much as you do and then you can look back on it and and talk about it later you know when you're when you're out having a cold one or whatever the case but um i i enjoy sharing hunts with buddies as much as i do solo like they both have their advantages and disadvantages yeah i agree and you know and definitely elk hunting i love i like love having as many friends as possible especially if you get one on the ground and you don't have horses but <laughs> mule deer I'm, a, I'm definitely more more happy to do alone even though it just ends up in a heavy pack but my uh, i'd say my my in memory my hardest hunt hands down was i i drew a sheep tag in the frank church wilderness back in 2007 and uh i was guiding in the frank at the time so it was kind of it was an interesting, I was back there and I had to take care of horses, but I also was scouting for myself. And so I was alone for 13 days straight, I think scouting. And I turned up very few Rams. That country is just so rugged. It just, if you haven't been in the Frank, it's just so hard to explain. You know, you, the, the river bottoms are three or 4,000 feet and the peaks are at nine and 10, but there's only a less than a mile of horizontal distance that creates that altitude gain. I mean, it's just, they're so rugged. And, uh, I definitely had a had a lot of talks with myself, you know, during those 13 days of scouting on. And then by the time the hunt rolled around, I took a week off of guiding while I was in there and I went backpack for my sheep. And I ended up taking my sheep on the last day of the season. And uh, it was definitely a mental battle the whole time to push through a lot. I mean, there was multiple times where I just said, I, I'm going to eat this tag. I'm done. I My body's given up on me. And I just kept pushing through. And I finally, I climbed a mountain that was, uh, I did, you know, three, 4,000 foot elevation gain, got to the top at dark, looked across the drainage and at the same elevation on the other side, on the other mountain were sheep. And it's like, Oh, you know, happy to finally see Rams. But, uh, I, so I had to drop down the next morning and climb up the next and it, I didn't shoot my Ram until about right before dark, you know, final day of the season. And it was a, it was definitely a testing point for myself to see what, what I was able to accomplish on that hunt. And, got it all done and somehow got him off the mountain, was able to hike back up the next day to get him off the mountain. And, uh, I was, uh, I was one beaten tired guide at that point when I had to take an elk hunter a few days later in the, you know, and I was glad to be on a horse, I guess I could say by the, that point. Oh, Steven, that is so cool. You got the absolute full experience and at, you challenged yourself to your limits. It It's amazing like I heard this saying the other day, I'm thinking of a bunch of sayings as we're doing the podcast, but there's a really good one, um, you know, about, see if I can, I can think of it. It's, um, 
like a mental toughness is a superpower or you know something to that effect of like it, it's amazing what you can do or what you're capable of and you're capable of so much more than you ever think you are and, and just case in point is that that hunt there like in 13 days by yourself like you get to know who you really are in 13 days you almost yeah. start to go a little crazy because you're inside your head you don't say a word for 13 days and i've done i think i've done 12 days solo by myself in the in the backcountry before and you come out and you almost forget to talk forget how to talk to other humans when you come out (laughs) like it's a weird experience being by yourself for that many days but it it all comes down to to determination you know mental toughness and it it kind you have good high points and low points throughout that you just have to kind of ride them out and just keep your determination and say you know i'm gonna kill a ram but how cool man you kill that ram on the last day got got the chance of a lifetime to hunt sheep you made the most of it you know and you as years go on you kind of forget some of the bad times or you don't forget like what you put into it like as you tell the story but you kind of forget how much pain was there just like you going back to that mule deer hunting spot like you kind of forget all the bad and you go man that was a cool hunt but you know those are those lasting memories that mean the most to you like that's ingrained in you like you're never going to forget that sheep hunt it's it's not something where you're going to do a mule deer hunt and all of a sudden forget like all the details of that hunt like that's going to stick with you for your life like and it's it's so rewarding and gratifying like when you got that sheep i I got I got to imagine you were just on cloud nine and then to pack it out when you were sitting on that horse a few days later guiding that next hunter like thinking back of that hunt like like that's amazing what you accomplish and and uh that's so cool it's uh our sport uh backcountry hunting is just so cool in in that aspect of it all right that's a wrap man awesome conversation uh with steven uh, that guy's just a wealth of knowledge, and um, it's really there's such like a common thread between backcountry hunters, and and so many correlations in in what we do, and you know he he'll talk about uh, you know one one subject, and it'll it'll bring another thing to the forefront of my mind, you know that I want to mention, and and it's just such a great back and forth, and I just learn so much from this podcast and get so much great information for it from it. Um, so I, I, I really enjoyed doing it, really enjoyed the, the conversation with Steven and, and definitely want to have him on again. And I'm excited to see what he turns up in Wyoming. I know he's been scouting like a madman and I may or may not have got a couple secret pictures of a couple bucks that he's looking at and, uh, just some great bucks. And so, um, I, I know he's going to have a great season and, uh, I thank him for being on the podcast. It was really fun. Uh, sponsor for today's show is Taito Knives. So ultra lightweight, ultra sharp knives. These things have just changed the game as far as processing game in the field. It, it's just so nice to have a, a knife that doesn't weigh two pounds or you don't have to bring sharpeners and multiple knives. Like you just bring one knife into the backcountry, uh, replaceable blades on it that are just ultra sharp. And it butchering game and skinning game with these ultra sharp knives uh it's just it's such a it's so much more enjoyable of a process than than having to struggle at it and force knives and it's a lot safer um you know those razor sharp knives um you you don't have to push hard or force anything like everything is just done with the edge of the knife so i really think they keep me a lot safer in the mountains and they definitely make processing game easier uh make sure to take to check them out best knives made taito knives and uh with that yeah just excited season's here um so we talked about it a little bit but headed to nevada and and uh 
going to go try to get on some good quality bucks there. It's going to be hot down there, so I've been doing a, a lot of heat runs and a lot of sauna work trying to get myself ready for it and um, get down there. And, and uh, Nevada's just got some great bucks, and it's great dates, like these early dates. I didn't make it down to opener, but, but like we talk about in the podcast, like sometimes that's not always the best strategy as well. Like, um, you know, let guys get in there and wear themselves out or do that opening week and then come in after they're done to, to find bucks and get on bucks. So I uh, just couldn't be more excited. Can't wait to get down there and cut these legs loose and get up in the mountains and see if I can't start turning up some velvet bucks. So uh, going to get these two podcasts out to you guys, and uh, then I'll be out for a week, and um, I'll check in with you guys when I get back. Uh, thanks, as always, for all the support. Eastman's Elevated, the, the Instagram, Facebook. Man, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's just it's just unreal to, to see all the positivity and support in our, our small little community of Eastman's Elevated. So thanks a bunch, guys. Uh, talk to you soon.